And now, O Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. If through the words of this human being we don't hear your voice, O God, then speak to us as only you know how in the quietness of each of our hearts. Amen. Today we are continuing, we're about around the halfway mark of our first of two summer series. All that we, we're using the word summer as a guide that's all about listening to the stories of the Bible. Listening to some of the stories of the Bible. And indeed they are like, every time we open the Bible and we hear a story, it is like a firework. It's something worth noting. It's something that... Uh, that draws attention to us itself in a powerful way. We see something, and even though that moment may seem to go away, we carry it with us. And that is the hope of this series, is that as we hear these stories, as we dig into them, that maybe you'll catch a new firework. Maybe you'll see a different color or a different glimmer or something new or something, uh, something in a way that you've never seen it before. And we began this series with, in the Old Testament with the classic story of David and Goliath. The story of a little boy, a little shepherd boy, conquering the mightiest of giants when nobody had any faith in him, but he had faith in the one true God, which was all he needed. Last week, we went to the New Testament and we heard one of the healing stories of Jesus, a miracle stories of Jesus healing a woman who was ill. And both of those weeks, for the past two weeks, we have had a plot, we have had characters, we have had a sequence of events. It was pretty easy to follow the stories in both of those passages. Today is a little bit different because we are jumping in almost to the very end of Paul's story in Scripture. We're not quite to the end of his life, but we're getting closer to it. And in order to really draw from the stories that we heard today and pull some truths out of them, we have to be aware of the bigger picture of what's going on. And for those of you who like chronology, those of you who like history, and you like for things to be in order, congratulations, this is your day, because I'm about to give you some dates and some order that help us get a little deeper into the story. Now, let's start at the very beginning, which is a very good place to start. When Jesus was living and walking on the earth, he ascended into heaven around the year 33 or 34 AD. Now Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was once known as Saul, was already alive then and walking the earth, but he never met Jesus in person while they were both on the earth together before Jesus ascended into heaven. But Paul was alive then, and as we know very well, if you read the story in Acts chapter 9, Paul, whose name used to be Saul, was an opponent of the church. He was doing everything possible to stop the spread of the good news, which was that Jesus is Lord, and he came to save us. Saul was against that, but he had this dramatic conversion experience on the way to Damascus, on the road to Damascus, and he changed his life. He saw Jesus. Jesus came to him, not in physical form, but in this, but in this spiritual form that totally transformed him. He gave his life to Jesus, and when we get to today's passage, for about 25 years or so, 20 to 25 years, Paul has been following Jesus. He has been a leader in the church. In fact, 18 months before he wrote this letter that we see, that, uh, the second letter to the church at Corinth, 18 months before that he had visited them, and he visited them because he had just gotten out of prison. Many of us are familiar with uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians and some of the passages in there about, uh, about rejoicing in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Paul wrote that 
from prison. So he is probably, when he writes this letter to the church at Corinth, he is likely only a couple of years out of prison. He was tormented while he was there. He was tortured. He was going through tremendous pain. And now, and he went and visited the church at Corinth. He left there. And then he gets word from the church at Corinth or from some of the leaders in that local church that people were beginning to question his authority. They were beginning to ask, who does this Paul guy think he is? Does he have the training to be an apostle? Does he have what it takes to be a leader in the church? After all of these years, after the dramatic change he went through, people were beginning to undermine what Paul was teaching, the truth that he was teaching. We don't exactly know why that was, but Paul was enduring a great deal of hurt and a great deal of rejection because they were wanting him to prove that he's an apostle. And one of the purposes of this letter, the second letter to the church at Corinth, was for Paul to remind people of not just who he was, but more importantly, who God was working in and through him. Now, to understand a little bit why Paul is writing this letter, it's important to understand the meaning of the word apostle. Many of us in Sunday school growing up, for those of us who grew up in Sunday school, if you're like me, I remember learning the 12 disciples. That was what I always heard, the 12 disciples. And it wasn't until I was older that we discovered, and if you look in the scriptures, there were hundreds of disciples of Jesus. To be a disciple means you follow Jesus. To be a disciple means you follow after someone or some ideal. But then there were a select few who were chosen to be apostles. In fact, those 12 that Jesus called and sent, Peter, James, John, and all of those that are listed in the Gospels, those 12, his inner circle, were apostles. And the word apostle in the New Testament is used to denote somebody who God, whom God has commissioned to be a leader for a specific purpose. And there were the 12 apostles that, G, that walked with Jesus, but Paul and some others who came along later were also considered apostles because God called them to that role. And two of the things that set an apostle apart, other than being called by God in that role, one of them was that they had some sort of supernatural experience with God. We know Paul had already had one on the road to Damascus when he was converted. And we hear, and we're going to hear it see in a minute here where he brings up another instance. But that was something that was considered proof that you were an apostle, that you had had some sort of vision or, or an experience, out of, this, out of this world experience of, uh, of God in a way that was hard to describe. And another mark of an apostle was that you endured persecution and torment for what you believed. Paul had been through all of that. So one of the reasons he is writing this letter is to remind the people who, who are doubting him, who are questioning him, that he does indeed, that God has indeed given him everything that it takes. Now, here's the thing, friends. So often in life, like the church at Corinth, we want proof of something, right? We want facts. We want evidence. And facts and evidence, don't get me wrong, have their place and have their purpose, and we need to pay attention to them. But what they're asking Paul to do to prove who it is that God called him to be, we're getting into territory of things that we can't prove with the mind, but we have to believe with the heart. That's where faith comes in. That's where trust comes in. And Paul is trying to move them in that direction of, look, I have the proof of who I am and that God has called me, but let me ask you to go out on a limb and trust a little bit more. But, and what Paul does to show this to the people, the first thing he does, he tells us about the, this experience that he had, beginning in verse 2, where he was caught up into the third heaven. Let's listen to this again. He says, I know a person in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows. And I know that this person 
whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard things that are not to be told that no mortal is permitted to repeat. On behalf of such a one, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Now, when we start this story here at the end of 2 Corinthians, we would easily think Paul's talking about some random dude, right? This is some random guy whose name we don't know that had the supernatural experience where he saw into the heavenly realm that we that most people only see after they have gone into heaven, after they have left this mortal life and entered eternity with Jesus. Paul, This person that Paul is talking about got to see that. But then we discover Paul is actually talking about himself. He goes on, and we'll see in just a moment, he twists the story a bit to let us know that he's the one that had this experience. He's the one who had the supernatural vision. And we don't have the, the, uh, the time and I think the space today to go into what that vision must have been like. That is, that's something that we need to reserve some more time for about what Paul might have seen, why, what the third heaven looks like. That's another topic for another day. All that matters for today is that we know that this happened to him. And he shares just enough. He's a little scared to share too much because he doesn't want to share all of the details of what he had seen. He's not supposed to share all of those details of what God sh showed him. But he shares just enough to prove to them that he is who God called him to be. And then he goes on to the next part of the story and says, I don't need to boast in this, for I will be speaking the truth. And he says, I refrain from it in verse 6, so that no one may think better of me than what is seen in me or heard from me. He's saying here, this is, um, he reveals that he's the one who had this experience, but then he says, I don't need to boast in this because you see there is another way for us to be made strong. Because even though I have been, had this experience with God, I'm still a human being just like, you, just like you are. I'm still a human being trying to make my way through this. And that is when he changes the tone a bit in verse 7. And he says, this is the turning point of the passage, friends, where he says, Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Friends, there are books and chapters and pages after pages, audio after audio over the years of people trying to figure out what was the thorn in the flesh that Paul is talking about. Even if you didn't grow up in church, even if you're just hearing this passage for the first time today, most likely in some setting somewhere, you heard, heard the, the phrase before, that is a thorn in my flesh. Or a lot of times we say, that person, is, this or that person is a thorn in my flesh. That is a phrase that we have, uh, that we have captured and we use to describe something that just eats at us, that just gets at us. A few years ago, there was a cartoon that came out that I think sums this up beautifully of what a thorn in the flesh could look like. Some of you may have seen it. It's a little cartoon of the Apostle Paul in his Bible garb in prison. He's chained up, and chained up next to him is a character that many of you probably know named SpongeBob SquarePants. Now, I have never watched SpongeBob SquarePants before, but uh, I see some of our younger friends giggling, so I'm getting the impression some of you know. And in this cartoon, SpongeBob SquarePants is handcuffed next to Paul in prison, and he's saying, What you writing, Paul? What you got, Paul? What's on that paper there, Paul? What you doing, Paul? And it just went on and on, and he's just, well, he's being a thorn in the flesh, right? He's just talking, and Paul is over here writing, and Paul is writing down. Uh, is writing down, a thorn was given to me in my flesh, a messenger sent from Satan. 
And that remind, uh, what I love about that cartoon is it just reminded us that, uh, about that there are things that just get to us. It may not be SpongeBob SquarePants for you. It may not have been SpongeBob SquarePants for Paul, but there are some things that just eat at us. And we have become consumed over the years of knowing, well, what was it that got to Paul? Was it an ailment? Was it a spiritual battle? Was it an emotional problem? And But then Paul switches this for us, and he's basically saying, I'm not going to tell you what this thorn was. I'm not going to tell you if it was really SpongeBob SquarePants, but I am going to tell you what's more important than knowing what the thorn was. And listen again to what he said in verse 8. He says, three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. Friends, I love this scripture so much because haven't all of us at some point in our lives said, God, take this away. God, get rid of this. God, get this person out of my way. God, get this issue off of my table. God, take away this chronic pain. God, take away this emotional trouble. And all of us, I'm sure, whether for ourselves or on behalf of somebody else, have said, God, just take this away. But notice what happens here. So often, friends, those thorns, we, we get caught up in holding on to them and our hands get bloody from complaining about them and talking about them and wanting them to go away. But notice what Paul does. Paul goes to the Lord and he gives them. He gives this thorn. He says, I appeal to the Lord. I talk to the Lord about this thorn in my flesh that it would leave. And look at what happens when we, tell the, when we take the time to quit holding the thorns And instead we take them to God in prayer. Listen to what God said in response to Paul in verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Wow, friends, what would, how different would life be if every time we had a thorn, we took it to God in prayer. We took it to God in prayer and we waited for him to speak to us just like that. Paul took it to God and the Lord transformed through his words how we look at weakness. What we see as a problem, God turns into an opportunity for his power, not ours, to be on full display. God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. We hear at the very end of today's passage, whenever I am weak, then I am strong. Friends, God knows we are weak. He knows those spaces, and he wants for us to bring those weak spaces to him so that he can be made strong through us. Haven't we all prayed, God, take this away and give me strength? God, take that away and then give me strength. Well, maybe what we should be saying instead is, instead of that or along those same lines is, God, here's this thorn, and I am weak. I can't handle it on my own. But where I'm weak, I know you are going to be strong. Friends, God loves us as we are. He wants us to be better than we are, but he sees our weaknesses, and he wants to work in and through us, not just in spite of those weaknesses, but in the midst of them so that his power can be shown forth. When I was uh, getting ready to go to seminary and during my seminary years, a prayer that I often heard prayed um, in various settings, not just in church, but in gatherings, I would often hear people pray some version of this prayer, God, get me out of the way. Just get me out of the way so that when I speak, people will hear your voice. God, get me out of the way so that when I act, people see Jesus in me. And that's a great prayer, friends. We want for people to see Jesus in us. And I just remember praying that prayer over and over and hearing it all the time. God, get me out of the way. Get me out of the way. You, This is your voice. This is your church. This is your work and everything. And I started going to a church and the pastor, right before the sermon, prayed a different prayer. And I wasn't used to hearing, I was used to hearing pastors pray, get me out of the way, God, so that you can speak through me. But this pastor instead, I went week after week, he said the exact same prayer. And it was this, 
And if through the words of my mouth they don't hear your voice, O God, then speak to each of us in the quietness of the heart. Y'all heard that before? Yeah, I stole it from him. And I've been using it every Sunday for 14 years now. And And when he said that, it stuck with me and I listened to it and I listened to it. And with time I realized what he was saying was a prayer that all of us need to be praying. Not just those who are getting up to speak and talk about God's word. Because what he was saying was, Lord, I'm going to make an attempt at this. I want for you to speak through me, but it may not work. They may only hear me. And if they only hear me, then you just speak to them. You speak to them in their hearts. And what I loved about that was that he was saying, God, I'm here. I've got gifts to offer. I want for you to speak through me. But I know that if I fail, if I am weak, You're still going to be strong. And friends, as we come to the Lord's table today, as we share in the holiest of meals of communion with Paul, let us, instead of asking God to take away the thorn and to give us strength, instead, let us go before him and say, I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. Just a closer walk with thee. Grant it, Jesus is my plea. Let it be, O Lord. Let it be.